Well, good morning again, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be back with you on this Sunday morning on YouTube and Facebook. For those of you who are watching church at home or on your front porches, on your couch, in your car, or maybe even at your desk at work, wherever you might be, we are grateful to have you here with us on this worship gathering today. We ask that you would join with us today as we continue our teaching series on the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through this teaching, which is really the the central teaching of Jesus's ministry for several weeks now. We've made it all the way through Matthew chapter 5, and we are now into Matthew chapter 6. And last week, we began with Jesus's turn away from topics that have to do with diagnosing the human condition, topics like anger and greed and sexual violence and all the things that make our lives difficult as we rub shoulders with each other in this world and sometimes hurt and harm each other. Jesus diagnoses those problems as deep problems of our hearts and indicates that we need to dig deeper into our hearts in order to exceed the righteousness of the law, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, rather. In chapter 6, what we found out last week was that Jesus turns his attention away from that essential diagnosis of the human condition, and he begins to pay attention to the core practices of his religious faith, ancient Judaism. And last week I told you that Jesus does this by turning his attention to the three core practices of Judaism, which are almsgiving, that is giving to the poor, and then prayer, and then fasting. Last week, we talked a little bit about giving and how the act of giving can begin that deep work in our hearts to repair us and to make us more like God. And this week, we turn our attention to the subject of prayer. So as we do, I want to ask that you would join with me in a moment of prayer here this morning as we just center our hearts and our minds and prepare to read this text and receive what God has for us today. Would you join with me just in a quick word of prayer? God, we thank you again for this opportunity for us to gather wherever we might be. We pray that you would turn our hearts and our minds now toward you and we would cast our gaze on the ultimate concern of a transcendent God who is above and beyond all of life's concerns and yet gathers those concerns so that we can begin to live fully into what it means for us to be humans, so that we can live fully into what it means for us to live good and decent and happy and joyful lives here in the world that you have placed us. We pray, Lord, that today you would teach us how prayer can become a means for doing that deep work in our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I want to ask you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick it up where we left off. Last week, we took a look at almsgiving, which is Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Today, We're going to turn our attention to Jesus' words on prayer, which begin in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. I'm going to read through this with you now, and then I'm going to show you some of what I'm noticing in this passage and invite you to share with each other online what you might be noticing as well. Starting in verse 5, it says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, 
so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, these are the first two passages of this section on Jesus' teaching on prayer. Prayer is one of, like I said a moment ago, the most important of the three most important religious practices in ancient Judaism. And Jesus begins this section, it's almost identical to the section on giving. Jesus begins and says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, that is those who are pretending, those who put on a false face or a false mask, those who do not do what they say you should do. Do not be like the hypocrites who go out and they practice their prayer in public. They go out on the street corners and they pray so that everybody else can see them. And then he says what is, I think, maybe one of the most terrifying phrases in the Bible. He says, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward. Some of your Bibles might say, they have received their reward in full. And what Jesus is again saying here, just like last week, is that what their motive is, what they're after, the reward that they're seeking in their prayer is to be admired by other people. That's why they go out and do it in public. Maybe just like me, that makes you think of all of the televangelists that you see on television praying in extravagant ways, maybe weeping on television or praying loudly or praying in ways that seem to be commanding other people or even God to do their bidding and praying in ways that exalt them or lift them up in the eyes of those who are watching. Jesus says that when people do that, when they pray in that way, that what they really want out of it is to be admired by other people. And Jesus says, if that's what they want, that's what they get. They have received their reward. And Jesus indicates that that is not what we should want to get out of prayer. Prayer should not be a way for us to get attention from other people or admiration from other people. In other words, we should not turn it into a transaction. And so just like with giving to the poor, Jesus says that his answer to this is that we ought to pray in secret, that if we're tempted to turn prayer into a kind of transaction where we give something and we get something in return, then it would be better for us to do it completely in secret so that we cut ourselves off from that hypocritical reward. And so this is very much like last week's teaching. Jesus is clearly saying that prayer has some connection to either letting go of power and control or using prayer as a transaction to hold on to power and control. But then Jesus does something different in this passage than he did last week with the passage on giving. Once he says this very similar diagnosis, a very similar prescription, then he moves on and does something different. Look with me at verse 7. It says, When you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Jesus now is not just criticizing the hypocrites, Uh, of his day. He's not just criticizing those powerful and hypocritical leaders in ancient Judaism. Now he turns his critique to pagans, those who pray in ways that somehow seem to be in vain. 
So somehow there are cultures around the ancient Near East, outside of Jerusalem, whose prayer lives tend to look like meaningless talk or meaningless babble. And I think actually we see lots of examples of that today as well. People whose prayers seem to be endless or people whose prayers seem to be full of catchwords or magic words or key phrases that they believe will somehow ensnare God so that God will do their bidding. Instead, Jesus says, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then Jesus gives his disciples a kind of outline for prayer. And of course, this is one of the most famous passages in scripture. It's the Lord's Prayer. In some traditions, it's called the Paternoster, which is of course God's fatherly prayer that Jesus gives to us to pray. In our church at the Oceanside Sanctuary, we pray the Lord's Prayer every single time we gather because we recognize that in this short, compact little outline are the, the essential nuggets of the good news of God. The gospel is contained in this little outline. And this was a very common practice in Jesus' day for Jewish rabbis to teach their followers a form of prayer, a kind of outline that would help them walk themselves through the very things that they ought to pray about. Jesus does the same thing with his followers. And what I want to do today is move past Jesus's prescription for praying in secret and take a few moments to look at the Lord's Prayer and recognize what is in this. So let's read through that together as well, starting in verse 9. It says this, Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And this contains Jesus's teaching on prayer, not his only teaching on prayer, but certainly his most memorable teaching on prayer. And a few things that I want you to notice about Jesus's outline for prayer here is first of all, that all of the needs of life are contained in this prayer. If you look back with me, you'll see that after Jesus opens his prayer with a recognition of God and God in heaven and God's will coming down to earth like heaven, Jesus then turns his attention in the prayer to three areas of life that I think encompass all of life. And that starts in verse 11. Look with me back there. It says, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. These three areas of the Lord's Prayer, daily bread, forgiveness of debts, and being rescued from trials or temptations or mistakes, these three areas, I would argue, in broad strokes, contain all of the challenges we face in life. And this prayer indicates that what it means to have a connection with God is that God's power, 
God's desires, God's intentions, God's will is that we would be relieved from our suffering and our struggles and our trials in each of these three areas. One of the things I want you to notice about this is that all three of these areas tend to follow a certain order. So when God's power or God's will is done on earth, it begins with the most important area of all of our lives, and that is our basic needs. That is, as Jesus puts it, daily bread. So the first area of concern for prayer is that we would have enough to eat. This is what we need for our basic survival. And if our basic survival needs are not met, then really nothing else matters. It doesn't matter if I'm getting along with my fellow human beings. It doesn't matter if I am being successful in my life and not making mistakes at accomplishing my goals. If I don't have enough food to eat, enough water to drink, and a decent place to live, if I don't have clothes on my back, if I don't have these basic necessities of life, then really nothing else matters. Jesus is, I think, radically saying that when God's will comes to earth, that people have their basic needs met and that we ought to be prayerful about that. And then from there, Jesus directs us to pray not just for people's basic needs, but it sort of progresses to the next level of the hierarchy of human needs. After daily bread, verse 12 Jesus instructs us to pray and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. With this one two-line phrase, Jesus, I think, really captures the essence of the difficulty of human relationships. As we come into contact with each other and as we try to be there for each other, as we have contention and arguments and fights with each other, that turns into people having trespasses or debts for one another in every conceivable form. Certainly financial, but not just financial debts, also emotional debts and also relational obligations and expectations that have been promised but maybe not delivered on. There are a million different ways that we step on each other's toes a million different ways that we owe each other for promises that were broken, a million different ways that we become angry with each other because our expectations weren't met. Jesus speaks directly into this with this one two-line couplet from the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In that phrase, Jesus recognizes The human relationships, human society, even human civilization is built upon the reciprocity of doing for each other out of a sense of goodwill and a sense of grace. Jesus is saying that when God's will comes on earth as it is in heaven, that not only are our basic needs met, but our relationships are formed in harmony, that we are there for each other And that when we fail to be there for each other, we're able to forgive each other and return to those good relationships. This is essentially the foundation of all civil society. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on from the problem of basic needs to the problems of society all the way to the ultimate concerns and expressions of every individual human being. In verse 13, he says, 
And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Some of your translations might say that a little bit differently, but ultimately, I think what Jesus is getting at is that every single one of us, if we have had our basic needs met, if we belong to a family and a neighborhood and a society and a community of some kind, that what's left for us is that human struggle of failing over and over again to reach our goals or being driven by the aspirations to finally succeed at what it is that we're trying to do? Or are we getting sidetracked by our mistakes, our foolishness, our addictions? These are the snares and the traps, the pitfalls of what it means to be human every single day. Every one of us gets up every day out of bed and has to face the new challenges of life. We conjure up dreams and goals and visions for ourselves, and then we chase after them. And that always involves the struggle of failing, the struggle of falling short, and the battle to decide whether or not we are going to continue, even though we might have stumbled. This is really the essence of what it means to be human, to be driven to try to achieve what our dreams and our goals are. And this is really where we find ourselves as humans. If our other needs have been taken care of, if we aren't every day getting up and worrying about whether or not we have enough food or shelter or water, if we do belong to a family or a neighborhood or a community of some kind, then what we tend to be primarily concerned about is whether or not we are achieving our goals in life. Jesus's Lord's Prayer contains concerns that run this entire gamut. All of life's worries and concerns are right here in the Lord's Prayer. And so prayer then is when we give our time and our attention to reaching these goals. Whether we are starving and looking for a place to live day in and day out, or we are people of relative means and power simply trying to achieve our goals, prayer means that we gather up all of these concerns in life and we direct those concerns to God. And this is where I want to remind you that Jesus begins his instruction on prayer about every conceivable area of human life, he begins his instruction on prayer by teaching us to turn our attention first to God. Backing up to verse 9, we see Jesus say this, Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever your concerns, whatever my concerns, whatever it is that we face every single day, day in and day out, whatever challenges stand before us, Jesus says that the life of prayer means to scoop all of those concerns up and to bring them first and foremost to this idea that we have, that there is something better, something truer, something good, something righteous, something just, this thing that we have given the word God to. Our concerns ought to be driven in a particular direction, that when we raise our voices, that when we open our hearts, that when we 
open a vein and bleed in prayer, that those prayers would be in a certain direction. And that direction is towards the God who transcends all of these concerns. Prayer then is the act of us giving our attention to all of the concerns of life and directing them in a certain trajectory towards the one who transcends all of these concerns. And by doing that, by giving our hearts, by giving our minds, by giving our words, by giving our concerns, our anxieties, our frustrations, our fears, our joys, our happiness, by directing our singing, by directing our laughing, by directing our lamentations and our curses and our blessings to this being that transcends all other things, what we are doing is reordering all of our concerns under the rightful heading of what is good and righteous and true. And that is God. Whatever it is that you believe about God, whatever it is that you engage with when you think about God, however it is that you experience God, prayer is the act of taking all of the concerns of life and bringing those concerns to the ultimate concern, that which is good and right and true and helps us to reorder all of those things. That kind of prayer, prayer that does that, That is deep work in our hearts. When we're willing to reorder all of our challenges, all of our frustrations, whether it's survival or social harmony or achieving our goals in life, when we take all of those things and we direct them to God in prayer, we are reaching deep inside of ourselves and asking that God to rewire our hearts, and our brains so that we could move in the right direction every day. That's what's contained in this brief little outline. My challenge to you as somebody who has decided to be a follower of Christ is that you would, if you haven't already, commit this prayer to memory. That you would pray it regularly in your life, not out of a sense of sort of rote memorization or empty recitation, but rather that you would use the Lord's Prayer as an outline to pray through all of the concerns in your life and to point all of those concerns to the one who is ultimately concerned for what is good and right and true. That's what I'm noticing in this passage. I'm wondering what this passage is speaking to you. If you have anything to share I want to encourage you to jump into the comments on YouTube or Facebook and just share with the rest of us, what are you getting out of Jesus's teaching on prayer and the Lord's Prayer? We'd love to hear it and we'd love to read what you have to say. Would you just join with me in a word of prayer as we close today? God, we thank you again for today. We thank you for this opportunity for us to expose our hearts and our minds to your words, to your teaching, to the ways that these images stretch us and challenge us and inspire us. We pray that you would make us into a prayerful people, people who bring our concerns to you and lay open our hearts so that you can do deep work in us, so that we can become people who live lives that are fully 
in line with your goodness and your peace and your truth. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us. We've got a few couple quick announcements before you head off. First up is if you're new, we would love to connect. Head on over to OceansideSanctuary.org contact, fill out the little connect form and we will be in touch with you. Next up is we have a really, really important meeting coming up this Monday, October 11th, starting at six on Zoom. This is the Live Free Planning Meeting. So on November 9th, we're having a big meeting with the Chief of Police, Fred Armijo. And the Justice Works team has been working really hard to uh, make policy changes and issue for him, uh, push reform, all these things. So we have to plan and get ready for that meeting. So if you feel passionate about policing, about reform, you got to come to this meeting. It's happening on Monday. It's really, really important. We would love to see you there. Next up is our regional gathering, which is happening on October 15th through the 16th. So we are part of the Disciples of Christ. That is the part of our denomination that we're a part of. And every year they have a regional gathering. This year it's going to be virtual. There's some amazing guests speaking. Some, some of my favorite theologians actually are going to be there speaking. It's virtual, so join us. You can find that link here on the QR code or visit our website. We'd love to see you at that as well. And last, we have call and response coming up October 21st at 6.30 p.m. That is our monthly scripture study where we engage in the Bible in community. So this is a safe space to really ask your questions, to dig deeper, not to just, you know, be told what to think. So this month we are studying the kingdom parables of Jesus, which is really exciting. So we hope to see you at all those things. And of course, if you'd like to support us, if you'd like to give to our organization, that is how we thrive. That is how we survive. You can head on over to OceansideSanctuary.org give to make a gift there or give with your time whatever you can to help keep this mission strong and going in Oceanside. All right, everyone, thanks so much for joining us today. Have a beautiful week. We'll see you soon. Peace.